Welcome to episode 230 of The Recovery Show. Because I'm traveling during the Christmas holiday, I'm sharing with you a, a panel of six people from Al-Anon and AA talking about the topic of family in recovery. I found some real wisdom in here and some laughs, and I hope you do too. I'm an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Okay, welcome to the family meeting. Uh, can we open this meeting with a serenity prayer, please? God, grant us serenity, accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to my Thank you. So, uh, we have uh, six of us that are on the panel, so each of us is going to talk about ten minutes and uh, talk about our experience with both with recovery and family. Uh, family dynamics or <laughs> lack of them. Um, and I think uh, I agreed to chair this panel if Bill wasn't on it, but Bill's here. So I don't, don't know how the hell I ended up having to do that. Um, and uh, Polly, would you start us out, please? Okay. If I you can't wouldn't. see my watch, so you have to. <laughs> You'll have to help me out with time. Hi, everybody. My name is Polly Pistol, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I'm really glad to be here, and I'm really grateful uh, for, the, uh, for the programs of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. Um, I am, uh, there's been an enormous amount of family recovery in our family. Um, I have uh, two sons. And uh, those two sons uh, went through my alcoholism with me. Uh, they were 14 and 16 years old when I got sober. And, um, and I was an alcoholic for about 16, well, I drank for about 16 years. And so these kids went entirely through my alcoholism with me. And uh, what has happened as a result of that is... Uh, I am, um, I'm a woman who should never have been allowed to keep these kids. I was a military wife, and because of that, I was married to a man who was at that time, it was called the Strategic Air Command. I don't know that that's around, I don't think that's around anymore. But uh, he was a pilot on a bomber, and he was gone for years at a time. And I was responsible for these two little boys. And I was totally incapable of taking care of them uh, probably from the time they were uh, six and eight, I really was not very capable of taking care of these kids. And they were the product of child abuse, which I was abusive verbally and physically. And I was abusive by neglect. I was an abusive mom. Shouldn't These kids were placed in my care, and I was not able to care for them. And um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of problems these kids have had. Well, the big book tells us that anybody who lives with a practicing alcoholic becomes neurotic. And uh, these kids have suffered uh, a lot of trauma as a result of being children of alcoholics. However, there has been enormous healing as a result of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, one of the things that I also want to punch here is because I am also a member of Al-Anon. 
And uh, I've been in, in the rooms of Al-Anon for 27 years. And I tell you, I, I know today that I would not enjoy the program that I have in Alcoholics Anonymous if it were not for the program of Al-Anon. And since I'm sitting on a panel like this, I feel like I can talk about that. And uh, when I got sober, I realized that my 14-year-old son was a full-blown drug addict. And um, there was just, there was lots going on. And my oldest son has more, he is also, a year, he on October the 31st, he had a year of sobriety. But he also has a lot of other problems. And so he was having, my oldest son uh, was trying to commit suicide every other day. And my youngest son was using drugs and alcohol. And I'm not sure to this day that I would be sober if it were not for the rooms of Al-Anon. And what happened for me is, is that I went, uh, I, I got a call from my uh, oldest son's wife that he had put a pair of scissors in his stomach. And my other son was running, he was living with us, and he was running Venice Beach. And so it was just, it was a nightmare. And I was in so much pain over these kids. And I walked into an AA meeting after getting this information, and and I truly am one of these people in AA who believes in taking the solution to the meeting and the mess to your sponsor. I believe in that. But I walked into that meeting because I would gotten that call prior to coming into that meeting, and I just started. You know, my oldest son is in the hospital, and he's, you know, in really critical condition. My youngest son is somewhere down on Venice Beach, and, you know, wham, 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 I was just going on and on and on. And this old guy in the back of the room, he he hollers out, you need to turn those boys over. And I jump back up. I know none of you guys would do this. And, you know, I'm five years sober, so I'm pretty, you know, I'm really sick anyway. And I jump up and I said, you want to tell me how to do that? Well, of course he didn't know. And uh, so what happened was, but when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And this lady walked up past, uh, walked up to me and she says, honey, I need to take you to an Al-Anon meeting. And that next day I went to an Al-Anon meeting with this lady. And these women just, they just, oh, they just loved me. They just circled around me and they said, of course you feel the way you feel. You're a mother. That's that's how mothers feel. She said, what we're going to show you how to do an Al-Anon is to love those children without it killing you. And I am so grateful for that because I believe that I'm sober today because of an Al-Anon woman who was a double winner. And because of that, I have what I have today. Well, what happened is, is my youngest son, about 10 or 11 months later, it wasn't quite a year, my youngest son calls me up on the phone, and he says, Mom, I want what you have. And uh, and I told him that he needed to go to Al-Anon. He said he didn't think he needed it that bad. I mean, to AA, and he didn't think he needed it that bad. But what happened was is he ended up going to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what he said is, as he said, I and he says this all the time in his talk, he says, I've heard my mother talk hundreds of times, and I promise you she's never made it sound as bad as it really is. And, uh, but what, and he does that to get a laugh. But what happens is, is what he did is he saw what Alcoholics Anonymous did for me. 
And what Alcoholics Anonymous did for me is took a mean, violent woman that was very abusive and turned, I had a psychic rearrangement and a spiritual awakening. And I, I heard one time this not too long ago, this guy says, well, I'm really, I'm 30 years sober, but you know, I'm really not all that different. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not anything like I was. I am not anything like the woman I was when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. There is no way I could take the hair on my grandson's head and shake it, shake his head and pull his hair like I did to my children. I couldn't do that. That woman, as long as I stay in these rooms doing this, doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. But I know, I know who and what I am. And I know if I don't do the things that this program tells me to do, if I don't constantly do the steps, if I'm not working the traditions, if I'm not doing the concepts, if I'm not working with others. And I don't know, the book is so clear to me. It says if we're to grow spiritually, we have to be working with others. That's it. I can go sit and meditate and go sit on a mountaintop and do all that stuff, and I don't know if a person like me is going to change. I don't know. But I know with the steps and doing what it says to do that we can change. And we can have a psychic rearrangement because that's not who I am today. And by doing that, my son now has 26 years of sobriety. My oldest son has one year. So if you're out there and you just, you know, you're waiting for the miracle, just don't give up. Just don't give up. He got sober when I was 32 years sober. Now, I have, I know that he has some other things that, that's wrong with, with him. But whatever, it's working. Now, right now in our family, there's a lot of different stuff going on. In fact, right now in my life, I feel like the rug has just been pulled out from under my life. I mean, it is, I'm in so much change. And I had ideas. I figured by the time I was 33 years sober, I'd be better than this. And I figured by the time I was 70 years old, I wouldn't be doing this stuff, moving and all this stuff. But we ended up having to sell our house up in uh, Birch Bay. And we're moving to Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, you know, like, how much further could you go? I mean, I don't know if you could hardly go any further unless I was moving to the Keys in Florida. But, you know, we're, we, we're doing this. And it's, and, and there's a part of me that hates to leave, but I'm, there's a part of me that's so excited. Well, that's, that's, that part's going on. My youngest son is in right now is separated from his wife and they're in the process of getting a divorce. My oldest son has been divorced for two years. And I mean, I just, but this youngest family, I just thought they were going to, I just thought they were the cat's meow. You know, everything was going to go good. Well, let me tell you what miracles happen in Alcoholics Anonymous when we least think about it. I had this son over here in California that was just kind of out in the weeds. You know, when he got sober, he didn't want to talk about it. He had to go to detox, but he wasn't talking about AA. He, he didn't want anybody to say anything about it. Don't you dare tell anybody I'm in AA and all that kind of stuff. Well, what's going on with his youngest brother? He was always so jealous of his youngest brother because everything, James kind of like had the Midas touch when it came to making money. 
You know, it seemed like that was, you know, he's just one of those kind of people that just, that just kind of happened. And Russ is over here struggling with money and all of that stuff. But, and he had this jealousy of James. Well, he's watching James have such a problem with his three children and such of that, what's going on. And all of a sudden, Russ is saying, I thought the worst problems in the world were money until I saw what was happening to my brother. And these two, these, my two boys have never been close. But right now, because of all this that's going on, there's a new miracle taking place in our, my son, wouldn't call me on the phone at living up in Birch Bay. He wouldn't call me on the phone. It's not that he doesn't love me. He just used to say, I don't have anything to say. And am I done? Okay, wind up. So he would just said that I don't have anything to say. But what happened is, is that now he's calling me all the time asking about his brother. And what's happening is, is James and Dave and I, we're all going to California and have Christmas with Russ. Because his wife's taking his children somewhere, and James's wife is taking his children somewhere. And we're all going to California for Russ. And Russ cannot believe that we're all going to come have Christmas with him. The miracle, we don't know. I mean, it's absolutely. Clancy talks about it's a disease of perception. It's just my perception. Everything that looks like it could be the worst it could be, always in my life, turns out to be the best. Thanks. Thank you, Polly. Love you. And uh, next we're going to go to Ralph. My name is Ralph White. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ralph. Um, I'm from one of six boys. Um, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. My father was an alcoholic, and he got put out the house when I was relatively young. And my mom raised six boys by herself. My story is not one where I started drinking really early. I didn't. Uh, I made it through school. I'm not going to be my daddy. I was a high achiever. I was an accomplisher. I was a get-things-done kind of guy. And I had dreams and goals and ambitions. And I started drinking when I was in high school, didn't have any problems with it. I wasn't drinking a lot. Went off to college and then um, took off from there. Higher education in every sense of the word. And I started drinking and I started using then in college. Um, first guy from my neighborhood to go. My younger brother, a year younger than me, um, he same profile. You know, my brother Ron, same profile, high achiever, student body president, class president, straight A student. He went off to college. And then my, my brother under him. Uh, first three guys from my neighborhood, my mother was really proud of us. She had done, uh, you know, I had a, a mom that sacrificed a lot. You know, she was a welfare mother when I was little, and she put herself back through school. She graduated from college the same year as my brother Ryan graduated from college, a year after me. Uh, then she started working and, and retired from her job. Remarkable lady, you know. Um, and had always had sons who made her proud. Uh, and later in life, these same sons ended up, uh, every single one of us, all six of us, you know, we all ended up in the life together. And we're, you know, and we almost killed our mom, you know, deep into my, um, into my alcoholism, after I had gotten married, I got put out of my house. Um, that was in about 1982 or three. And 
All my brothers ended up getting put out of their homes at the same time, and all six of us ended up back at my mom's house. <laughs> you know. And retrospectively, it sounds funny, but when you live in that, you know, and his parents in here, you know, I had one later on in skipping ahead, I had one stepson who who was really, you know, uh this young man was uh while drinking, using, smoking, and, and he was trying to stay with me, and I couldn't take it. So I couldn't imagine times six, you know, and we damn near killed my mom. She almost had a nervous breakdown. My mother is uh, uh, way more spiritually connected than I'll ever be. And she, without a 12-step program, she embodied all the principles that's in our 12 steps. And she's a praying lady, and she had praying people around her. So during that period of time, uh, I'm sure that's all that sustained her, but we, we really, so in 1986, you know, in 85, I got introduced to the program of recovery and I didn't stay. And in 1986, my brother Ron went into a, a, a treatment program. And three months after that, I followed him. And um, I can remember Thanksgiving of 1986 was the very first time any of our family had been sober together. Ronnie took a pass, I took a pass, and we went to my mom's house on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, my other brothers were doing what it was that they did continuously as a trip. When two of us got taken from the equation, it seemed like it threw it kind of off kilter. And on holidays, all the boys used to give each other the sign after we ate, and we'd slowly disappear and do what we did. And this particular holiday, Ron and I were at home, and we were sober. And my other brothers saw what was going on, and, and they did what they did, and they left. And... and um, Four months after that, my brother Reggie, uh, in trouble, not out of anything else, in trouble, because my brother and I, we never preached, never talked, never said anything. You know, when you read in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, our founder, Bill Wilson, he, he talked about sitting around one October, one November, and his friend came to see him, Abby Thatcher. And when he talked about that visit with Abby, he talked about he expected him to do a lot of preaching and a lot of rant. He said, but he didn't do any preaching. And he talked about Abby's deportment, shouted out. And, and I guess Ron and I, because we didn't talk to my brothers at all, but we stayed through dinner and we stayed through there. And my, our relationship with our mom was different and something was different because, you know, my brothers were doing what they do. And I don't try to impose you on me when I'm doing what I do. So we didn't do any of that. Four months later, my brother Reggie, uh, in trouble, you know, in trouble. And he put out a desperate call, um, and he went up into a treatment facility, and um, so now three of us were sober. And I remember December of 1987, um, my brother Rod, my baby brother, uh, Ronnie Reggie and I were always high achievers and, and school guys and the rest. My brother, my baby brother Rod was was street guy, hustler, dealer. In the and he had been in jail for a year, and he had come out. And he wanted to stay at my mom's house. Now, Ronnie and I were out of our program, and we were both staying at my mom's. And he asked if he could come. No, if you come, it's a condition. you got to go get some help. So he had gone up in a program, left early, was on skid row. I remember the night he called my mom uh, and asked if he could come. And she couldn't talk to him. 
You know, she let her God boys who were sober talk to the ones who were who were still out there. And I remember when I told him, you can't come up in here. And I cried when I hung up the telephone because my family's a tight knit family. We don't do the street. We don't sleep on the street. And I didn't know where my brother was. And I wanted to get on the get in my car and go look for him when I hung up the phone. And I called my sponsor and he was like, sometimes taking the right action doesn't feel right. And so he he said, no, nah, you did the right thing. And I remember it was really cold that December. And on Christmas Eve in 1987, he called and said, can I just come over for Christmas? And I drove down on Christmas morning, scared rowing downtown Los Angeles. And you got to know my baby brother Rod. He's a pretty boy. He's in the mirror all the time. He's really meticulous <laughs> with his dress. Player, you know that kind of guy. The one. And, and, uh, so I drove to Skid Row, where he said he would be. And I drove around and I didn't see him. And so I circled the block again. And when I circled again, this guy jumped out in front of my car. And he had been trying to get my attention before, and he was waving, but I didn't recognize him. I didn't recognize this guy. He was filthy. And he jumped in my car. And when I let the windows all down, and I drove with my head out my side of the window, because I could, and we got him to my mom's house. And my grandmother was still alive, and she was over for Christmas. And when my mother took one look at him, and she sank to her, you know, her knees buckled, because this was her baby boy, and she what he looked like. And she said, please don't let mama, don't let her mother see him. And we rushed him in the house and put him in a tub for, let the water out and ran it again, put him in the tub again, you know. And um, to hear Rod tell that story, he'll talk about it's the best Christmas he ever had. And December 25th of this year, my baby brother will be celebrating 23 years of recovery. You know, and uh, So it ended up with the white boys, and that's what we call all of us. In re and, and then that changed the dynamic of my family. It changed the whole dynamic. This past Thanksgiving, we were all at my brother Ron's house. And, and it's like when we were kids again. And it's been like this for a long time, you know, uh, on, on Christmases and on holidays. And, you know, it's laughter in the house. And it's a, it's a sober house. Of, you know, we married sober people, and we have sober kids. And, and our kids don't know anything about uncle so-and-so being in the, I mean, they hear stories because we're open. You know, we are an A family. You know, um, that's what we do and that's how we live. And so it's, it's open, but it's, it's stories to them. You know, that my, my daughter can't imagine. You know, my oldest daughter is 27 years old right now. She was two when I got sober and she, so she, was in this world while I was in the life, but she doesn't know that guy. You know, my oldest daughter is uh, uh, just graduated from law school, University of San Francisco. She's getting ready to take the bar again. And, you know, my youngest daughter is 15, and she's never seen her daddy loaded. And one day at a time, she never will, you know. And I am grateful to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm grateful to the restorative process that you guys have put and introduced me to in my life. I'm grateful to have a power. I'm grateful that when it was my turn 
for that stepson I had who's 30 years or 31 years old right now, and he's coming up on 91 days. He called me yesterday, and he's been trying this thing, and he relapsed, and he tried it, and he relapsed. We went to my daughter's law school graduation, and he had about six months then. And it's a trip because I've been away too long. I've been, I've been away too long. And I, 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 it's some stuff I miss. You know, sponsorship is really important, you know, and it's, now I'm really clear on why most of the people I sponsor now, it's been a long time since I've had a wet one and somebody really brand new because I miss some stuff and, and I beat myself up. We went to my daughter's law school graduation and so the whole family was up there. Now, she had a crew when she graduated, the young set, and they all went partying that night. You know, after the graduation. Well, my son went too with her friends and the rest of them. I, I didn't think. I, I, it just missed me. Well, he didn't make it back from the party sober. You know, my daughter drinks, so her friends drink. They're people that he really admires, the ones that, you know, she had her friends. And he's a guy that's running. And so anyway, he didn't make it back from the party sober. I kicked myself for a while. Why didn't you think about it? You didn't send an escort and all the stuff. When they're close to you, all the things that we talk about in Chapter 7, they don't come to your mind, which is why it's hard to work with your own family. I want to I want to shield them. I want to guard them. I want to bodyguard them. I want to beat myself up. Dude, it is what it is. You know, he had the experience he felt, and now he's back again. And, and I am... Uh, I'm grateful to have a fellowship, and I'm grateful to this program. And, and any opportunity I get now, for me, and, I, and I'm getting out of here, Bob, for me, I have to, you know, uh, I get the opportunity to do stuff like this, and I really, 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 really enjoy it and I'm grateful for it. But I'm really grateful for the opportunity to show up at school Monday through Friday. I'm grateful my daughter is in and performing arts high school. It's some stuff that I'm going to have to stop doing because I'm not missing any of the performances. I'm not missing any of the things that are important for her. And I am not. So anyway, if you're sitting here and you've given up hope on them, my mom had given up hope. My mom had damn near died. And it's been turned around for her. We gave her a surprise 75th birthday party a couple of years ago. We surprised her, which is hard to do. And at the end of the night, she said, you know, because my mom had babies early in life and she was the oldest of her siblings. And she said, Ralph, this is the first time I've ever had a party. So after 75 years of living on this earth, I wanted to thank the men and women at Alcoholics Anonymous because my mama had a party. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Ralph. Um, Michael. My name's Michael. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Michael. Michael. Do I have to say it again? <laughs> Michael, alcoholic. Um, <sighs> Let's see, when I got sober, my family consisted of my mother, my daughter, uh, three brothers, and one sister. And I am so very fortunate that I was told early on that I could not get any of them sober. The only one that didn't drink was my sister. She was the perfect one in the family, and she still is as far as I'm concerned. I just love her pieces. But uh, all three of my brothers were alcoholic, and my mom was an alcoholic, and she had been in and out of AA for years. And um, 
she showed me AA didn't work. This is the last place I would have come. But when I got on my knees and I said that prayer to God, please, I don't care how you do it, but please just get me sober. I ended up at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and old timers had me wait in the parking lot. They went and bought me two beers, made me drink them before the meeting because they knew I wasn't going to make it. I mean, I was going through DTs and and that was my last drink. Um, but my mom's still drinking. And um, my daughter, who used to take care of me, I mean, she was the caretaker. I mean, it, you can hear her talk, and she'll talk about me laying naked on the front room floor, and she's picking Doritos off of, my, off of me, you know, because I was just a sloppy, ugly drunk. And um, she was in this caretaking role. And when I got sober, she didn't have to worry about me anymore. And she went off into drug addiction and alcoholism like you wouldn't believe. How it happened so fast shocked me. And it wasn't until years later we talked about her, why she started doing what she was doing in it. And, you know, she came to the conclusion it was just because she didn't have to worry about me anymore. Three months sober and my mom decides that she's going to try AA one more time. And uh, so she comes into AA and she had four years of sobriety. But she, what she did is she went to uh, cable producing school at that time, and she was the second uh, cable producer in the city of Long Beach, which is, uh, she, did, she didn't get sponsors, she didn't do her steps, she didn't do the things. She started producing uh, a show called High on Life. It was all about sporadic. It was really great. She won several awards, but she's uh, not working a program. And, of course, she drank again. And we're having these battles about her drinking and having this high-on-life program on TV. But um, I'm trying to back off. I'm trying to mind my own business. And, and then my three brothers, one of my brothers, I used to take his two little girls, baby girls, every weekend. But I wouldn't stay there and visit him because uh, they drank and smoked. It was really bad. And uh, I had allergies to the smoke. And so I'd go pick up the girls and take them. And I would never stay there and visit with them. Well, one day he just got, he was really mad at me. And he said, if, you're, if we're not good enough for you to talk to, to stay and talk to, you're not good enough to take my children. And he would not let me see those girls for a very long time. And uh, anyway... I made amends to him several times because that's what I've been taught to do in this program. And he just wouldn't have anything to do with it. When I moved here to Georgia, I was here a couple years, and it's just one of those God things. I just picked up the phone and I called him. I just said, Perry, I just want to have a relationship with my brother. And he was open to it. He was open to it, and I sent him some money for his birthday, and he accepted it this time. And then a couple of weeks later, he dropped dead of this disease. He just dropped dead in front of his four kids, five through 12 years old. And they were all whisked off to Ireland because that's where uh, the mother's from is Ireland. So the kids were raised in Ireland. I never got to see them again um, until recently. I had two, two of them. When they turned 21, they looked me up. And they came to visit Ted and I. And uh, 
I would swear that that's the best thing that ever happened to them going to Ireland because they're in college. They've got things that are happening for them that never would have happened the way that it, they were all always being taken away, hauled off to defects for all the fighting in the home, everything that went on. So as much as I hate to say it was a good thing my brother died, that's not the good thing, but being whisked off to another country and getting out of the influence and the environment that they were in was a good thing. And um, at the same time, Barry uh, dropped dead of a heart attack and uh, his twin brother was in the hospital with cirrhosis of the liver. He was going to die. And I was able to get on a plane and go to Colorado to see him and he pulled through. You know, in the big book, it talks diff- about different stages of drinking, and it says at one stage of drinking, if you've not yet made chronic, which I am chronic, given a good reason, you can still quit on your own. And cirrhosis of the liver and his twin brother dropping dead was enough for my brother Alan to quit drinking. He never needed AA. He was resentful if I even suggested it, lived in a little town. He No way is anybody going to know that he's got a drinking problem and everybody knew anyway so today he's sober without uh, a program and I'm t- he's pretty darn miserable and I'm just so thankful I get to see it I'm so grateful I get to have the fun and the laughter in this program um, my daughter eventually got sober uh, my third brother went to a meeting with me I was driving through Oxnard and I was going to speak at a speakers meeting and he was not an alcoholic at that time, I didn't even know he was an alcoholic. And anyway, it was the speaker's meeting. And they asked for people that were new to stand up. And my brother stood up. I, I couldn't believe he stood up. I, I, he sat down. I said, Bobby, I didn't know you were an alcoholic. He said, I didn't either. But what happened to him is he had a housekeeper. And she thought he had a bottle collection. Because every time he drank a bottle, he threw it up in the back of the cupboard. And she was straightening out the cupboard. So she straightened out all these bottles, all these cupboards, with all these bottles. And he said that just flashed before his eyes, you know, <laughs> just flashed before his eyes when, uh, when she asked about newcomers. And he stood up as a newcomer. And, and today he's, he's sober. Um, my daughter is sober about 20 years, but she's, she's been through a lot. Um, She's hanging on to some things that she never did let go of, and I think they're making her very ill. She's been bedridden for four years, and she's really dying of liver disease. Not cirrhosis, not from uh, cirrhosis, but fatty liver disease. And it's heartbreaking, and I, I do need Al-Anon. I need to learn how to take care of her without it killing me. Um, half of my difficulties with my knee are from picking her up, she's 350 pounds. and uh, So that's been very, very difficult, but she is almost 20 years sober, and for that I'm eternally grateful. I would, I, she, would, she would have been dead a long time ago if she was drinking. But my mom is the one that I just want to close with, and she's a, a pretty incredible lady, and the longer I'm sober, the more I love her. You know, and I didn't take a drink till I was 25 because I was never going to be an alcoholic like my mom. And, um, and I managed not to drink for 25 years. But once I got into AA, she came in, she got her four years, and then she started drinking again. And um, 
you know, I just had to, I had to just accept her unconditionally. And this program gave me the ability to love her no matter what, even though she couldn't quit drinking or she didn't want to quit drinking. She was enjoying the, the nightlife of, of cable TV and all the famous people she was meeting with, meeting and she enjoyed that. Uh, she would still come to meetings. You know, in the big book, in the second foreword, it gives you a um, description about uh, of how many, what's the word, not description, it gives you information about how many people stay sober at, at a, I hear the soldiers that I work with today, they come in to my house and they're, they're very discouraged because they've just been told one out of, one out of ten people that come into the program stay sober. One out of ten. And I go, where do they get that information? I mean, nobody's ever asked me anything about my sobriety. Have you been? You probably have been. You've been. <laughs> I mean, where do they get those figures? All I know is in the second forward, and I have compared this with the people I sponsor. In the second forward, it says those who really try, 50% sober up right away and never drink again. And then it says the other 25% relapse and come back and get permanent sobriety. And the last 25% that come in the program and they really try, their life greatly improves. And even though I don't feel like she really tried, she still did keep coming to meetings and she did the minimum. And all I can tell you is my, my mom was in that 25% where her life greatly improved. And uh, she died of cancer and she wanted to have a party before she died, a funeral before she died. She's very dramatic. And um, so my sister and I had what's called the awake wake for my mother. And I don't know who the caterers, whoever catered it, told the newspaper. The newspaper showed up. Uh, and so I get up the next day and on the front page of the Long Beach Press Telegram, which is a big newspaper, is a picture of my mom, my daughter and, uh, you know, all these people that are at this party. And it says awake wake. You know, and it tells this story about, and she got up and she's saying, it's my party, I'll die if I want to, I'll die if I want to. I mean, she's just so dramatic, you know, and so this is all in the newspaper. Well, then the Associated Press picked that up. And so now it goes all over the United States because Associated Press picked it up. Now we've got all these talk shows calling us, trying to get on their talk show before she dies. And my mom is having the best time of her life, dying of cancer. I'm falling apart, and I'm also very resentful. <laughs> Why are all these things happening to her? But um, anyway, she chose the Maury Povich show, and that was the show that, um, and they liked drama, so they, would, they wanted my daughter and myself on the show with her. My sister wanted to go, but they didn't want her. She, she was too normal. <laughs> so anyway, she's on the Maury Povich show. Then CBS wanted to write a movie about her and wrote a, uh, I don't, uh, all of this stuff. I mean, and Carol Burnett was going to play her role, and it was it was just the weirdest thing I ever saw. But the last couple months of my mom uh, dying, you know, I, I was there taking care of her and working, and I'd take her to work in a wheelchair and. She got where she could no longer go. She just laid by a window where I would sit and talk to all my AA friends. They'd come over, bring food, and try and take care of me, hold me up. And um, one of the last things my mom said to me just before she died is she never realized how selfish and self-centered she was. 
that was a burst. Those were the last words that came out of her mouth. And she finally was able to let go because it was hard for her to die. She, but she didn't do the work in this program, and she had a lot of fear of dying. Anyway, today I just, every time I turn around, I see something in her I just love more and more. And I'm thankful that she's my mom. I'm grateful that I'm sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm grateful for getting on airplanes and meeting people like you. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <clears throat> Bill. I'm, I'm Bill Rope. I'm an alcoholic. You know, I'm so old. These people talk about things that are going on now. Those are in my past. My kids went through troubles, you know. And they all worked out. My wife and I, we got uh, married in Chicago. Neither one of us drank. I went away to war, and when I came back, I was a drunk. When I came back, she was an alcoholic. Anyway, we had kids. When you got kids, you got problems. But I never had any dramatic problems like you people had, my God. My wife solved some of them with a wooden stick. <laughs> the kids talk about it now. You know, they're 60, 58. Hey, I remember mom with the, what was it, a stirring stick? What did they used to call those? Wooden spoons? Wooden spoons. All she had to do was raise it, and the kids would set up in. See, all the things I've heard, I've never heard anybody say anything about God. All I heard was problems, problems, problems. AA solves problems. No, AA is a God-given program. It says so in the big book. It says it through all the pages, through all the steps. The reason there's peace and tranquility in my house is because God's there. I haven't... I am no longer the ruler of the universe. He is. My wife died. We were married 64 years. We had a lot of friction in those 64 years. Some of it was because I didn't realize she was boss. <laughs> Took me 20 years to realize that. We are married 64. I was going to dump the bitch. One of my Irish friends from Wisconsin came down and told me, the devil you got's better than the devil you'll get. So I stayed with the devil I had. The reason I mention that is some people, when they get married, they think everything's going to be great. You take a woman who's different than a man, a man who's different than a woman, brought up in different environments, and you put them together and they're supposed to go peacefully into the sunset. No, they fight, kick, kick, scream. But luckily, my wife and I stayed along together long enough to get the... Why did we stay together? Because we were broke. (laughs) 
if either of us had money, we'd have dumped the other one, I'm sure. Anyway, I can only tell you the way it worked. So what's happened now? I only had one kid that was an alcoholic. He's got 30 years sober. He's helped a lot of people in AA. He's passed it on. Of course, he's also just finished with 10 years in jail. See, a lot of people, when they've taken their fifth step, it's not enough just to say, here's what I did. you got to quit doing it. Sobriety is not an answer. Don't pay your car payments and tell them, but I've been sober 15 years. <laughs> They'll take your car. Get on an airplane without a ticket. But I'm sober. But I'll tell you one thing. Thanks to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that was given me to me by a never-loving God in 1957, changed my life, my kid's life, and my wife's life. What is life like now? There's love in our family. None of my family are bickering or fighting with each other. It says that in the Bible. Two commandments given. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbors yourself. Then he goes on to talk about feeding the sheep. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. Our job is to love you. Wherever you are. If my kid's going to hang himself, I love him. I wish you wouldn't. And I've been through some stuff with my kids. But I fall in love with my kids. Today we got love in our home. Why? Because God's there. He's in all their homes. They're not in charge of their house. My boy Billy isn't. My boy Rich isn't. My boy John isn't. And I'm not. I just wanted to mention that because we talked about problems. I don't have any problems. Over the years, people have had opportunities for emotional growth. See, God, the only way I get close to God is if I got a problem. When I'm shooting pool and run the table, I don't say, hey, Dave, I'm close to God. <laughs> or if I throw the dice and I get a winner, I don't say, hot diggity God. But let me get my testicles in a crack. God! <laughs> we get close to God through problems. So be grateful for your problems, and I thank you all. It makes two he, of us. <clears throat> I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic. And um, I'm about as grateful for the program and its benefit to my family. I, From what I've been told, I'm the fourth generation or fifth generation alcoholic in our family. I have one brother that's an alcoholic. Linda and I have three sons that are in the program. And uh, the program has touched every aspect of our lives, both 
in our marriage and in our extended family. My early uh, sobriety, I wasn't much of a father. I was um, sometimes abusive with my kids, physical with them. The hair grabber you talked about, I did that sober. And um, I was the guy who was at a meeting every night, and um, I wasn't the little league coach or whatever. I was just doing what I did. I just chased after AA. I, from the moment I walked in the front door of Alcoholics Anonymous, I felt like it was my place. And uh, the grace was, of course, they had a wonderful mother at home that was taking care of things. The level of self... And I think a lot of people would say Bob's really doing a good job. I got a lot of attention in AA. I was the youngest guy in our group for a long time. I got a lot of pats on the head. I got pads everywhere except home uh, and work. <laughs> um, wasn't very good at either of those two things. And in one way, I was doing uh, the best I knew how. But what happens to us over a period of time is if you involve yourself in the program and if you involve yourself in the steps, which is I was given the gift of having good sponsorship and exposure to the steps, uh, you start to change. And it takes a while. I mean, I always tell the people that I sponsor, you, you see those shadows out there? <laughs> those are people. Um, because you're just so self-obsessed. You know, I'm a young father. I'm 24 years old. When we started to have kids, I'm worried about how I'm going to make a living. I remember my first thought, what well, Linda got expected was, our, you know, our family income is going to be cut in half. You know, I mean, I, it was this very selfish thought. It wasn't hooray. You know, you look back on it now and you just, but I was a... I was narcissistic, I was very immature, and uh, I was enormously self-centered and didn't have uh, any sense of the depth of my self-centeredness. And that, that all I can tell you is that by my actions in Alcoholics Anonymous over a period of time, that changed. And uh, I became a better father and a better husband, and without even necessarily the intent, I always had the intent and desire um, but I wasn't able to accomplish that on my own, and it was it was just as a result of trying to consistently work uh, with the steps and program in our life. I think love and God, um, alcoholics seem to have the capacity to do the extraordinary and have a great deal of difficulty with the ordinary. We have trouble with paying bills. We have trouble with buying car insurance. We have trouble staying married. We have trouble with careers. We can get jobs, but we have trouble with careers. Uh, and it's that sort of marathon sort of thing about life. It's sort of taking things on with the maturity that, that I didn't have and many of us don't have. Uh, but over a period of time, if you work the program, we have the opportunity for some of those defects of character, I think, to be stripped from us. And as a result of that happening, we are able to attend to life on life's terms better than we have ever been able to do so before. And that's what my experience has been both as a parent. I look back on it right now, and our, our three boys, our oldest boy has uh, 22 years, and the middle boy has 20, 19 years, and the, our youngest has 13. And I think, my God, if I hadn't cleaned my act up and and gotten to be a more responsible parent and loving parent. When they developed the problem of, of alcoholism and drug dependency, would they have wanted what I had? 
you know, they could have gotten to the point and they didn't want anything that that old man had. And, uh, but because of your work on me and God's work on me over a period of time, uh, I woke up, did more inventories, took a look at, you know, at things in a different, different sort of way. And my story is, is one of kind of growing up. And, um, it never was as fast as I wished it was. I made sig- very significant changes at seven or eight years in sobriety. I wish I would have made them at two and three years, but I didn't. But because I stayed and because I stayed active and because I was doing the best I knew how to do it, I got the chance to do it at seven or eight years of sobriety. And it's been kind of an ongoing sort of process. I, I think being a, f- a husband or a father uh, takes everything. I think it takes 125% of whatever you have. I think having children is like having a bowling alley installed in your head. I mean, it is, I mean, it's one of the great privileges of life, but it's one of the most demanding processes that I think we will ever be. It's one of the great privileges of life. I, I, I look at it today. We, we are now grandparents and we have a six and a half year old and a two and a half year old. What I see today in a young child is so different than what I saw as a 24 or 25 or 26 year old young man. I mean, it is just, it's a different set of eyes. It is a, you know, I'm just a different man coming in there. Uh, and I think today, more than I ever have at any other point in my life, uh, I'm able to love. I'm able to give because I'm, it's not all about me as much as it used to be about me. That, it's still about me often. But I'm not, it's not as blindly so as it used to be. I really now am at the point in my life and have been for some time that I can truly attend to other people and not have all the attention on me. I mean, if you would start to tell me something about you, I'd have to tell you that I had a similar experience. I mean, I couldn't, almost couldn't, you know, when something, one of the kids would get in trouble at school, they used to have to worry about me. You know, what my, what dad's reaction would be in the situation. Isn't that horrible? But I mean, you couldn't, even when your children are having difficulty, they have to deal with you in that situation. And, uh, I'm not proud of that, but I'm glad it's not like that today. I'm glad that today I can serve my children, love my children, be there for my children and my spouse. It, it's, uh, uh, but I think the, uh, It's just the nature of life. I think that was my path. Those were the lessons that I need to learn. Some people come to that intuitively. I look at my son today. He is such a good father. I mean, he is just such a good father. And it's almost like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of work in it. But it's almost as if it's just natural that he just, you know, that that, he was gifted to, to, uh, it seems to me that he's gifted. Uh, and for whatever reason, I was too self-centered. So my path was to deal with that. The good news is that I think Alcoholics Anonymous and the path towards God, whatever you have to deal with, whatever you have to learn in order to get the fullness of life, and whether you have to learn about work or about marriage or about parenting or about staying out of jail or about not drinking, our program puts us, this is our path. And whatever those issues are, whatever our shortcomings, whatever our defects of character, whatever the causes and conditions that brought us to the front door of Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a set of spiritual principles that that's going to be our lesson. Each of our lessons are a little bit different, and yet in the balance and in the whole, they're more the same. 
And uh, I guess if if uh, a bunch of normal people heard the introduction when Bill talked about you guys are all talking about problems, I think sometimes we should talk about problems. Because sometimes you get the impression about I used to be a jerk, I came to AA and it's all okay. And, and sometimes when you're sitting in the audience and you're sober and it's not quite all okay, um, it, it is a comforting conversation at least to say that we're all still dealing with life and sometimes we don't deal, you know, sometimes it isn't quite as pretty as we would like it to be. And I think outsiders would come in here and maybe they'd be a little shocked and not that positive about the way we would talk about some of the issues that we were in, in, our, in our lives before. But I love that we can have those conversations with each other and that there is still some humor in those conversations. And I like the dignity of the fact that we're all in the game, that we couldn't talk about those things if we really weren't in the game. And that is the most important thing. It isn't always that we're having 100% success. The question is, are you a player? Do you have a uniform? Do you, you know, if... Going to Alcoholics Anonymous became against the law. Would they have enough evidence to convict you if you went, you know, to court? Uh, to court. And I just, every once in a while, I think, I just couldn't imagine what my, if, if I were alive, I couldn't imagine what my life would be without the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So thank you for that. And with that, I will turn that over to my wife, Linda, to close us out. Hi, I'm Linda Bazanz, and I'm a member of the al family group. <laughs> wow, what an order. <laughs> um, I came to al when I was 21 years old just because I wanted to look good, thought I should support my husband-to-be. Um, eventually, I became serious about my program and changed my direction from going for him to getting crazy enough to know know that I needed to go for me. I got the tips on how to make him behave, and they were the 12 steps, but they more applied to how to make me behave. And I started on a journey. Little did I know how important that journey would be. Um... When our oldest son, Bill, was about 16, 15, 14, somewhere in that range, he started using alcohol and drugs. And um, it was quite troublesome in our home. When he was 18, we had him evaluated, and long story, wonderful story, but long, he um, sobered up and has been sober since he was 18. Um, wow, you know, it's all solved, everything's okay. No. The next one made Bill look like a choir boy in his behavior. And, um, you know, he, he was very much on the other side of the law and uh, destructive, very destructive. And um, when Peter was 19 after DWIs and being kicked out of school and all sorts of interesting things, he was sobered up at 19. And um, so we got these two sober young men in our home and going off to college and everything just seems fine. 
and uh, Daniel, who is 11 years younger than the oldest, all of a sudden started to smell funny and look funny. And we really didn't have any idea how funny he really was. And um, I was angry. No way. There's no way I have to do this again. Come on. Three out of three? That isn't right. I know people, they have five kids. They don't have any alcoholism. This isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. And um, it happened. And I went back to the newcomers group. Became, I was, I don't know how long, I'll sort of figure it out. Um, I was 24 years in the program at that time. 24 years. And I was as much of a newcomer as any newcomer could be. I was crazy, I was hurt, I was angry, I was resentful. I The program was like, I think it was available to me, but I sure wasn't using it in a way that was meaningful. And um, so I came as a newcomer. And for some wonderful reason, Daniel sobered up at 17. I don't know why we are so lucky that we have three young men, three men, they're not so young anymore, um, who are sober. But somebody said here, you know, don't give up before the miracle. I do believe that our God offers everybody the opportunity for sobriety. I think it takes some of us longer to open the box. And um, if you're having those difficulties... I really invite you to this wonderful program called Al-Anon. Because if it weren't for Al-Anon, I came because of Bob. But I always knew I could, if I needed, divorce Bob. Not my choice, but I knew that was an option. It was. At times it really was. But what do you do when it's your kids? What do you do then? You love them through it, and you go through the pain. And I just loved what Polly said. I wrote it down. <laughs> Learn how to love your children without it killing you. And that's what Al-Anon did for me. And I think I still, with going to Al-Anon, was able to be a functioning adult in our family and still a person of service as much as I felt like I was bleeding. And yet the alcoholism was happening to the kids. So this is a place where we grow up. This is a place where we talk about what's going on. This is a place where we tell each other the truth. And I don't think there's a lot of places like that out there in the world today. And I came to look good. And I grew up here. Thank you so much for this program. Thank you, Linda. for listening and please keep coming back may understanding love and peace grow in you one day at a time